Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on December 5, 2018, addressing year-end state tax considerations. The panelists for this webcast include Ken Kuykendall, a PwC tax partner and leader of our specialist networks, Rob Osman and Maureen Pahacek, both PwC tax partners in our state and local tax practice, as well as Amber Whalen, a director in our tax accounting services practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists, providing a general overview of the current landscape on accounting for U.S. tax reform with the state lens, as well as state tax considerations relating to the Section 965 toll charge. Have a listen. With that, why don't we go ahead and jump right in and start talking about uh, the accounting side of this. And Amber, I'm going to come to you and maybe let you lay some foundation for people around the accounting provisions that are relevant and where state intersects with it. Great. Thank you, Ken. So top of mind for a lot of people right now is preparing for their year-end tax provision process. And people are dealing with a lot at this year end. So one of the first things you're looking at is finalizing provisional estimates under SAB 118, and I'll go into that a little bit further in a minute. But from a state perspective, you know, some, we have conforming states for the toll charge, so finalizing those provisional estimates. And then for 2018, companies are having to deal with the 2018 provisions of tax reform for the first time at year end um, from a year end perspective. So guilty, beat, some of these other provisions, FDI. And companies are dealing with uncertainty in these areas and then also looking at how to update their disclosures for these items. So for example, when we get to guilty, we're going to talk about the policy election that's available, the accounting policy election. So companies will need to disclose that. Companies will need to consider in their disclosures how to discuss the new provisions, guilty, beat, um, and then how to include those items in their effective tax rate reconciliation. And then companies are also dealing with interpretive guidance. So we're getting regulations from a federal perspective. Um, From a state perspective, there's new guidance being issued continually. There's a lot of still open items at this year end where we're hoping for guidance but haven't yet received it. Going into 2019, we do expect to receive a lot more. So how are companies addressing this at year end 2018 is top of mind for a lot of people. I mean, let's be honest, we're, we're in unprecedented territory from a standpoint of the amount of change that's happened, the amount of guidance that's happening, the timing of when that guidance is coming in, and the challenge for calendar year companies trying to manage all that stuff. So I know you guys will go through some of the state specifics, but just to put a broader lens on it, we're, we're really in unprecedented territory trying to navigate all that. And Amber, you lead off, and I think you're going to go here next, but with finalizing what was already out there from last year and how we worked through the provisional estimates. But then you start to dig into what's happening right now as it relates to regulations for guilty, regulations for foreign tax credit, expected regulations around beat, all these different pieces that that folks are going to have to proposed regulations out there, nothing final really in a lot of cases to deal with. So it's 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 a challenge amongst all challenges in my view. So Absolutely. And then there are all of these, there's interplay between these different provisions. So it's very complex from a modeling standpoint. Yes. And when you layer on the conforming versus non-conforming states as another set of considerations that we're going to go through later, it, it gets even more complex. The state folks. <laughs> <laughs> so as we've talked about, companies are going to be finalizing their provisional estimates under SAB 118. 
The SAB was issued by the SEC in December of 2017 after tax reform to allow companies a one-year measurement period to account for tax reform at the date of enactment. So what that really means is people needed more time to gather the information, especially for toll charge. So they needed time to get into these historical EMP pools, the FTCs, and pull all of that information together. And then you look at from a state perspective, um, the conforming versus non-conforming states on the toll charge, which we'll get into again. So what SAB 118 does not cover would be state law changes that happened after that December 22nd date. So for a state that decided to conform in 2018 retroactively to 2017, that, that wouldn't be covered under a SAB 118 estimate. And then also these 2018 provisions that we're going to talk about, so guilty, beat, FDII, those items would not be covered under a SAB 118 provisional estimate. So what does that mean? That means that this year end, companies are going to have to do the best that they can with the guidance that we've received so far and make some assumptions and judgments and just make sure that those things are clearly documented in their year and provision process. So we'll move into a few of the other considerations for this year-end process. One would be deferred taxes on outside basis differences. So companies may have been reconsidering their indefinite reinvestment assertions or APP23 assertions as a result of tax reform. So with the mandatory deemed repatriation, the toll charge, from a federal perspective, and the 100% DRD as well, things might be more, more simple, basically, if you're looking at repatriation. But if you're lifting these indefinite reinvestment assertions or, or you never had an assertion in place and you're looking at the, the deferred taxes that you need to record with respect to these unremitted earnings, you're going to be focusing on the local withholding tax, but also the state tax. And that could be much more significant, I guess, much more um, attention grabbing <laughs> um, now that you don't have that federal piece as well. So this is one thing that companies will be focused on at year end. And we'll get into, again, a little bit later some of these issues. But if a state is non-conforming, what you may have is a PTI for federal purposes that may be non-PTI for state purposes if they didn't conform to the toll charge. And this just makes a whole nother layer of tracking and complexity from a deferred tax standpoint. So companies are also continually assessing their deferred taxes for realizability. So we've had several tax reform items that may impact valuation allowance assessments. Some of the states have changed their carry forward periods for NOLs. Some states conform to the federal now indefinite carry forward period. Some states will not. They have their own rules and those may or may not have changed. So this is one thing to keep in mind. And from a valuation allowance standpoint, one thing I'd like to encourage is just starting the documentation and assessment process, just clearly getting your documentation in line now. Go ahead and start having conversations with people about any assumptions that you've made so that we don't have any surprises in January. And then a few other considerations for calendar year in provisions. So one would be reserves for uncertain tax positions. We've talked already about uncertainty and we'll continue to hit on that point today. So companies have already taken technical returns or technical positions on 2017 returns. Um, if they haven't yet filed returns or they're looking at 2018, they'll be 
considering what technical positions they intend to take. So companies will need to assess the technical merits of those positions and determine whether they're more likely than not based on the available guidance that they do have. And those reserves um, need to be clearly documented uh, so that you can have the conversations um, with your external auditors, go ahead and just get those things moving uh, now in December. And then other items that people will want be considering at your end would be true up of attributes. So I mentioned that some of the well carry forward periods be changing. That's one item people will be looking at. And then when we think about proposed regulations that we still expect might come out in December, we know that in 2019, Treasury is intending to finalize some of these regulations and we're still expecting more regarding expense allocation and things like that. And then there's always the uh, potential for technical corrections. Um, so how do companies account for this? And I would say companies will do their best shot and make some assumptions. And again, it's just that clearly documenting. Because when we look at error versus estimate analysis, that last point, what we're really trying to get at there is companies are doing their year-end tax provision. Tax provisions are always an estimate. And when you file your return and you do your return to provision analysis, you'll be looking at, are any of these adjustments an error? Um, or are they just changes in estimate based on new information that I received? So, for example, new guidance. And that's where you'll want to make sure that you were clearly documented at your end as to what your positions and assumptions were. Given all the uncertainty that's out there, I mean, you're trying to navigate all these pieces. So, great job, Amber. Just to maybe tie back to a few things and maybe hit some points. So, one, you hit this early on. Um, SAB 118 is really a prior year accounting issue, the things we're going to talk about coming up, FDII, guilty, 163J, any of those pieces, those are items that are dealing with current year, um, not going to be part of what's happening from a 118 standpoint. Um, you didn't say this, but just to add on, our expectation is um, a lot of clients ask the question as to whether or not they'll see an extension of what's happening from 118. Our, our, our understanding, our position is no, so get your accounting done yes. <laughs> from that standpoint. And then I think what you're trying to lay out in some of these other areas are, listen, it's an uncertain environment. Um, people are going to be making judgments as it relates to dealing with year-end as to to what extent they're working with the proposed regulations, all those different pieces. And your best friend in doing all that is clear documentation of what your positions were so that when regs get finalized, when other things happen, and we go ahead and essentially adjust what will be that final accounting at that point in time, we can refer back to what's happening there. Yes, absolutely. Excellent guidance. All right. Why don't we roll into 965, the toll charge. Um, most of the stuff will have been included on a federal return at this point in time. If you're a calendar, your company, or I mean, uh, if you're a calendar, your company, you have. If you're not a calendar, your company, you may still be dealing with this. But maybe we can spend some time talking about some of the state issues related to that as a sort of follow-up to that surprise that I had. Yeah, exactly. I, I am surprised as well. So, yeah, let's talk about um, the 965 toll charge and... We're going to start a little bit on state tax conformity, and we've all heard this on every webcast, so we have our maps. But just the first map is just basically saying as of December 31st, 2017, there were 23 states that had automatically adopted the code because they were rolling conformity states. But then if we go now to the October 5th map, you will see that there has been significant state legislative changes that have occurred in 2018, where now you have about 40 states that have adopted the Internal Revenue Code. But we do have to be careful when we look at states, for example, like Wisconsin, 
where Wisconsin adopts the code, but they specifically did not adopt the 965 provisions. I actually think that one of the key issues on the state is when you lift your APB 23 assertion. And we actually have had a number of companies looking at that. And I think it's, it's really can get complicated because you can often lift your APB 23 assertion in total. You can do it by country. You can do it you know, by year. And so when you're looking at the state ramifications of that, you really have to make sure you understand what has been lifted. And the key areas when you do lift your APB 23 assertion is that you now have to figure out your tax implications of bringing that money back, okay? And the states that were, it's, I, I would say, the most complicated and the biggest numbers that are out there right now is California because they're a non-conforming state. And they, if you've made a water's edge election, you get, a, in essence, a 75% DRD, but there's expense allocation. And then it gets really, really complicated if you've had historical subpart F income because you had to have partially includable entities in those years. And so trying to figure out now your permanent reinvent, you know, your, your tax on these potential dividends can be very significant and take a lot of time. The other states like Minnesota can be very big because they give an 80, Minnesota gives an 80% DRD, can be a big number, 20% taxation of all those earnings, and they also say no factor representation. So those are the key issues, you know, in the non-conforming states. So now, you know, when you go to the next slide and we talk about sort of what are the state effective rate issues, we're going to go through an example of the new regulations that just came out on nine, or not just, but a few months ago that came out on 965, and how that really can change the, the way the 965 is computed and which legal entity includes that 965 income. But some other key issues is that we often see in the state area that people like to do a blended state tax rate. But when it comes into the big three tax provisions that we're going to be talking about, we think it's more critical than ever that you do company by company effective rates, as, especially as it relates to taxation of these items. One of the key issues is the impact of 965C. So if we say a state has conformed, you would say they've conformed to 965C. 965A is gross, the 965C deduction. So if you have an example where you have a billion dollars of gross 965 and a $400 million deduction, you have $600 million in federal taxable income. So you would think that if I was going to include $600 million and my state has an 80% DRD, I should take an 80% of the $600 million as a deduction. The issue, however, is it really an 80% of the billion dollar deduction. And our thought would be, unless a state was very specific and had a statutory add back for 965C, you would start with the 600 million times 80%. However, there's some recent guidance that's come out in both North Dakota and in Alaska. North Dakota allows a 70% DRD and Alaska it allows an 80% DRD. And really, without statutory authority, their statutes say they start with federal taxable income. They say that you have to add back the 400 million and you only get the DRD on the billion. Not a lot of statutory support, but their logic is that because they have a state-specific DRD, that that is what should control. And in essence, it's an implied that the add back's there. So I think there's going to be some fighting about that, but that's the guidance that's come out. On the deferred tax rate issue, that is applicable when you do lift your APB 23 assertion. And I've sort of talked about most of those issues before in California as the ENP. But I do want to make everybody aware of a position that the state of Wisconsin has taken. And even though Wisconsin has not take, you know, does not follow 965, 
this gets if you have to figure out the tax on your re on on the on lifting the APB 23 assertion. They have basically been saying that they have their own specific DRD, which requires three things. 70% ownership for the entire year is the second requirement. And third, that it must be paid with respect to capital stock. And although they have said that they follow the check the box regulations, they are saying that if your payor of your foreign dividends into the US is a partnership where you've checked the box to be the C-Corp, or they are also attacking numerous hybrid entities, they are saying they do not meet the capital stock requirement, and so therefore you get no DRD. That issue is going to be getting fought. Not huge numbers, maybe, if you're just talking about dividends in one aspect, but now if you're trying to figure out tax on 30 years of dividends, it can be a very big number. So I just want to make everybody aware of that because it's a big surprise, but they're at least holding tough on that right now, and they'll probably you know, things will happen over time on that. Um, and then the last thing on the deferred taxes are just all these consequences is that have, you also have to look at expense, uh, expense disallowance, related expense disallowance. And then finally, if you do include a portion of it, what's your apportionment factor impact? I want to go through this example in this regulation. And I won't have, I know it's a little small, we're not going to go into it in detail. But I want to point out what's really changed in light of the 965-8 uh, position that came out in the most recent proposed regs. Prior to these regulations, it was very clear in 965 statutorily that you do a computation on an affiliated group basis. But then how did you do the computation was a little bit gray. And historically, we would have thought that you would look at each US shareholder on an individual basis and look at the CFCs that those entities earned, and you'd net your deficits and your positive earnings on sort of a US shareholder basis and then combine it. Under the new regulations proposed, it is very clear you'll look at it on a single taxpayer basis as if you're one single company. So therefore, you look at all the earnings and all the losses and net them on a gross basis. That can make a big difference in the state. And if you just go through this example, at the end of these calculations, in this example, US 1 before had $160 million 965 inclusion. And now under CFC, or US 1 has a $260 million exclusion. So it really changed which entities could recognize this, and that can have a fairly significant state impact. And with the SAB 118, this is something that you'll want to document in your provisions and make sure you've evaluated this um, for your end. And then so really putting this all together, you know, in the last, you know, we want to talk about uncertain tax positions. I've already mentioned all, you know, most of these, but one thing that is unique that I hadn't mentioned is that there's a six-year statute of limitations for the federal 965 computation. And as many of us know, states are different. Some states follow the federal statute of limitations, some don't. So I just wanted to highlight that because that could work out. And then the other things, the apportionment. Um, and so forth I've talked about. With the exception, I do want to highlight one other issue on the subpart F DRD. Most of the states have historically allowed subpart F as a deduction under the foreign dividends received deduction, but some state statutes are pretty specific that it says dividends received. Other state statutes say dividends received are deemed received. And so some companies have been Put, taking the position that with all these large numbers coming through, if a state isn't specifically say that subpart F is part of the dividends received deduction, they might be taking a more conservative approach for provision perspective versus what they are doing on the tax return. 
All right. Maureen, I'm going to come back to you. So um, you mentioned a few different states that I, I think are going to be contentious around how they deal with some of these things. And it's not surprising. The reality is it's a big revenue number in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. probably one of the larger numbers we've seen on a federal return in a while rolling through. So it's not unique that people are sort of trying to take interpretations and figure this out. But as you are sort of dealing with clients right now, um, are there any particular unique issues that you're seeing in this area that we, we haven't covered so far as to how people are handling this for their year-end provisions? So um, a lot of the accounting's happened already for, is going to happen at year-end for 965, but I mean the, the federal returns, if you're a calendar, you've already included this. But the interesting thing that comes out in what you described is in a lot of the states, there's still some uncertainty around what's going to happen in the space based upon how the state's going to tax it with rules yet to come in a lot of cases probably to deal with this. So. I would say that on uncertain tax positions, one I hadn't talked about that can be pretty significant is the apportionment ramification. So, you know, in that example where I had the billion dollars and the $400 million deduction and $600 million, do you include a billion dollars in your denominator? Do you include $600 million? That may be everybody's thinking about that. But yet there's some states like New Hampshire that does tax foreign dividends and New Mexico that taxes them for consolidated filers. They actually let you include the sales of the foreign subsidiaries. So okay. we basically you you'd look at your E and P that you included divided by the E and P, yeah. and then you take into account the foreign sales, and you can put those in your denominator. Often only a hundred percent of one year versus even though there's forty years coming back. So like how you can account for that apportionment? Some people are really evaluating. They might have been more aggressive actually than they have been with the provision. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode. Thank you.